You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion, works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. The hymn is Building a New Way. We are building a new way. I invite you to rise with me. Let's learn it together. We are building a new way. Then it goes up. We are building a new way. Then it goes up. We are building. Good morning. Oh, that was so nice. You guys are more awake than the first crowd. Good morning, and welcome to First Universalist Church in Minneapolis. My name is Ashley, and I am one of the ministers here on staff. It is a joy to be together with all of you in this room and all of you who are joining us online from wherever you may be this morning. Welcome. 
This Sunday is the first of four Justice Sundays happening each month through April. These Sundays will feature the work and voices of congregants involved in our justice work. Today, members of the Faithful Action Council are sharing an invitation into how and why you use our involved in justice work. It's an invitation to consider where and how you want to be involved and how you might be called to sign up for a shift in the revolution. I think we need to give our Faithful Action leadership a round of applause right now. A little preemptive love here. And also a special thank you to the one, the only, Reverend Ashley Horan, our own beloved member and also the organizing strategy director for the UUA for giving us permission to use her phrase, taking a shift in the revolution. It was about 10 years ago now that I had the joy of meeting the fabulous other Reverend Ashley H. She was glowingly pregnant and gorgeously put together as she always is in her clergy collar and lipstick because it was protest time. We were at an action, of course, for Black Lives Matter. And as the heavy work of the fourth precinct here unfolded and unfolded and unfolded, it became clear we were no longer just in a moment, we were in a movement and we had to find ways to take shifts. And that's when she started talking about shift work as spirit work. She said just the other day, as I was pulling on her to expound, the thing that is so clear in the mission of faith-based organizing is the need to do enough base building that we have a deep enough bench so that people can tap in and out according to their needs, abilities, circumstances, a part of the work of faith communities is to provide the spiritual sustenance to nourish folks enough that they're ready to tap in when their shift comes. Can I get an amen, please? Thank you. She went on in her brilliant way, as she does, Shifts in factories are not all the same. People have different specialties, and everyone needs to figure out where their particular skills and gifts and passions can serve the needs of the greater whole. So your shift in the revolution, individually or as a congregation, is the intersection of the world's need, of your skill, and of your passion. Let's just sit with that. How are you called in this moment to meet the world's needs? Where does your passion and joy come alive in this movement moment? Where do your skills serve? Let's take three deep breaths to sit with these questions and arrive here in this space. Let us honor the ancestors. 
Let us honor the first inhabitants of this stolen land. Let us feel our feet on the ground. Let us feel and listen and be moved this morning that we may find the call of our next shift in the revolution. May it be so. Good morning. My name is Dallas Rising. I'm a member of this congregation and also on the Faithful Action Council. And I'm here to tell you a time about when I was really weary. After weeks of organizing to build an accessible tool for mutual aid logistics coordination as a practical response to the uprising of 2020 sparked by the police murder of George Floyd, I chose to step away from the screen and stand at the corner of 38th and Chicago to join others in community, to hold a candle, and listen to religious leaders speak about the meaning of this moment in history. I didn't expect that that vigil would be the catalyst that would bring me back to church after a 20-year absence. But when I heard Reverend Jen speak that night, a seed was planted. I was reminded that church existed, and maybe it could be a resource that I could call on for help as I tried to navigate the challenges of trying to live an ethical life in a world that's pretty much designed to break us. I logged into Zoom Church on a Sunday not long after that vigil and have attended every single Sunday since. Together, we gather in this space to bring our bodies and attention to what really matters. Many of us work hard to live and spread our UU values in the broader world during the week. And we come to church for inspiration and nourishment and reassurance that we're not alone, that we're not meant to be alone. Let our chalice be a beacon to all who are out there right now feeling the twin flames of hope and despair love for others and grief in their suffering, righteous anger at injustice, and the deep longing for a place to belong. Let us together rekindle the flame in our hearts that burns and yearns for justice. While our paths may be separate and over different terrain, let them be guided by the same stars, a light of justice calling us home. Come. Let us worship together. Ida, can you come up here, please, and help light the chalice while I read the words for the lighting of the chalice? Great. Oh, maybe Glenn Thomas can help with the fire part. I will be glad to. Oh, a new flame. I got you. Okay. It's a good thing we have lots of people to come and help us when we need it. Thank you. Are you ready? Great. Please join me in saying the words for lighting our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. 
This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Let's have a story. Let's have a story. I'm, I'm still wanting to sing. I want to sing too. What do you want to sing? Can we sing a little song? It's all right. Tell the story. And we, can we can feed our every need. That's going to come in handy. We can feed our every need. We can feed our every need. Start with love that is the seed. We can feed our every need. You did tell me that sometime this year I would sing on a microphone. <laughs> so good morning, friends. I want to share a story with you this morning. It is a story uh, called Stone Soup. How many of you are familiar with the Stone Soup story? Yes, this is a story that we have told a lot. Even the folks up in the balcony know the Stone Soup story. I love this. So help me tell this story, would you? Um, how do we start a story? Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, but, you know, because we're Unitarian Universalists, we then get pedantic about it and say, but it could have been yesterday. <laughs> could have been tomorrow. So once upon a time, a long, long time ago, but it could have been yesterday and it could have been tomorrow. What happened? Why, what, how does the story start? Someone was hungry, right? Someone was hungry. But... They didn't have any food. And so they thought to themselves, I wonder how I can get people to help me. And so they got a great big pot. And because they were very wise, they knew that it's very hard to encourage people to contribute when the vessel is empty. So they started with a stone. And then they went out into the neighborhood that they lived in, asking if anyone had anything to contribute. Is there anyone who might have vegetables to contribute? And they came to someone, and the first person said, well, I don't really have anything. And they said, really? Nothing? And then they asked again, and the person said, oh, well, I might maybe have a carrot. And the person said, I would happily receive that carrot. Thank you. And then the next person said, oh, I have a, what do we think, cabbage leaf? Cabbage leaf, lettuce leaf. And some other people said, oh, I have some garlic for you and some mushrooms and even more mushrooms. Oh, and an egg, eggplant, 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 and some... Corn? Is that what? No. Cucumber. Wonderful. Could you contribute your cucumber? And 
oh, there's some stuff over there, but there's some stuff over here too. Oh my goodness. Pineapple, because who doesn't like pineapple in their soup? <laughs> and I think there's some stuff over here. They ran all over this neighborhood, didn't they? Green pepper? Corn. corn, all right. Green pepper, corn. Who else? Oh, I heard someone shout out broccoli. I like broccoli in my soup. Green peppers and mushrooms. And oh my goodness, I think I saw a tomato over here. And a pepper. Someone contributed a tomato and a pepper. A green pepper caught up to the person and their pots. Thank you. What do you have? A tomato and maybe another, another pepper. This is starting to look like there might be something going on here. Oh, and there was a cucumber. Thank you. And uh, a leek. A leek and an onion. And someone was wearing some cabbage that they contributed. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Could not forget the carrot. Thank you so much. And so they walked around. They walked around the whole neighborhood, asking everyone that they met, thank you. Is there anything up in the balcony that I need to be aware of? <laughs> if uh, anybody in the balcony has vegetables to contribute, if you could bring them down, that would be awesome. They, they walked around the whole neighborhood, and each person that they met first said, I don't have anything to contribute. Each person said, I don't have anything to contribute. But when they asked again, each person said, well, you know, if I think about it, I do have a carrot that I could give you. I do have some broccoli. I do have some garlic or some spices. I do have something that I can contribute. And so as the story goes, they put it all together, right? And they cooked it and they had a delicious soup that everyone enjoyed, right? This is the story that we often tell. When I went to research this story, because I'm a big nerd, what I learned is that the original story, so to speak, tells the story as a story of the hungry person tricking everyone else in the neighborhood. Tricking them out of whatever it is that they had that they contributed, right? That doesn't sit real well with me. I can see from the faces that some of you are making behind your masks and the, the noises that some of you are making, it doesn't sit real well with you either. Right? When we tell that story in Unitarian Universalist contexts, churches like this one all around the country, what we say is that when we bring together what we have, everyone can be nourished. But there's another piece of the story that I want you all to consider this morning, and that's this. Each person 
who answered the question, do you have anything that you can share, answered absolutely 100% honestly that they didn't. They really and truly believed in their hearts that they had nothing to contribute. When they were asked again, they responded by saying, well, I guess I have a little something, but it's really not much and you can't really do anything with it. But that wasn't true, right? When they brought it all together, they in fact had the ability to feed their every need. <laughs> and here's what I want you to consider, is that the space between feeling like we have nothing and realizing that we have something to contribute and that together we add up to enough to feed us, to nourish us, is in fact the work of organizing. What that hungry person did was inspired people to see what they had, to see what they, would, what they could contribute in a new way. What that person did was organize them into their particular shifts for the revolution, and in doing so, was able to nourish everyone. When I was growing up, the, the, my family's choir, we had a choir, uh, it was called the Steel Family Ensemble, and all of us, is yeah, Steel, I, what, what, I want that name, um, and uh, everyone in the Steel Family Ensemble uh, could sing beautifully, with the exception of two of my cousins. And the two cousins said that they always sang in the key of M for miracle. <laughs> they taught a lesson that we teach each other each time we sing. Not everybody has every note. Sometimes in the tune, we lose a bit of pitch, we waver a, a little bit, and some were very strong. The great thing about the chorus is that none of us has to do all the work alone. If you take a note and I take a note, together we can sing magnificently. The hymn is Love Will Guide Us. Will you rise? Let's sing. Bring all the notes you got. One, two, three. Guide us, love will. Peace has tried us, peace has tried. Hope inside us will lead the way, will lead the way on the road from greed to giving, greed to give. Love will guide us, love will guide through the hard night. If you cannot, if you can, sing like angels, sing like angels. If you cannot, you can. Can I get some percussion? Just be good for the. Yes, it helps. Yes, you can give from deep within. You can change the world, can change the world with your love. Everybody, love will guide us. Love will. Peace has tried us, peace has tried. 
Congregation, each week, each week when we gather for worship together, we make time to extend the caring ministry of the congregation. And so as we do, I invite you to settle in, to put down whatever it is that you're holding. To take a moment to breathe as we find ourselves checking in, checking in with our hearts and our spirits to see if there is any care that we need, any care that we might ask for now or in the days to come. And in that spirit, I invite you to breathe with a little bit more intention, a little bit more attention as we breathe together into this moment of silence and this shared breath that makes us one. As we breathe in, as we breathe out, as we allow our breath to find its rhythm, to find the places that it wants to live in our bodies today, may we also find the places in ourselves that might be in need of care this morning. May we find the places in ourselves that might be in need of care whenever this impulse strikes us. Gathered here in community, may we find the courage to gently move past the everything is fine Minnesota exterior, finding the soft fluttering of our hearts and our souls, hearing that call and what it longs for, a kind word of encouragement, acknowledgement for how well we're doing in the midst of change, a hand to hold as we grieve what is changing and our trouble finding our place in a changed world, worries about a job, Worries about feeding our families. 
worries about feeding ourselves. The pain of parenting a child who is struggling. The pain of accompanying ourselves as we struggle. May we find the courage to ask for what we need so that we ourselves might suffer less. As our hearts expand to hold ourselves, we become aware of the suffering around us too. Touching the tenderness of our spirits, we naturally extend outward. Reaching out with our awareness, holding those around us in our love and care through all that they carry, seen and unseen. We hold those living with chronic illness and pain, those working with mental illness, those in recovery, and those still in active addiction. Our hearts surround all those whose relationships are ending, have ended, those that never really got started. We pray that you find your way through heartbreak. We pray that you know that some amongst us have traveled these paths and are here to accompany you. And our hearts soar with those amongst us who are rejoicing, those celebrating a positive diagnosis, a hoped-for remission in cancer, new work, a successful new recipe, the small things that buoy our spirits and that lift our hearts when they are shared in community. All of this is present amongst us. Here in this congregation, we hold those who joined in yesterday's retreat. Over 100 of you gathered in this church, dedicating yourselves to a day of spiritual practice, a day of reflection on what is no longer and what is not yet. doing the work of building spiritual community, knowing that when any in a community go on retreat, it benefits the entire community. We thank you. As our love and care continue to move outward, we hold those in the wider community in need of care. Our love is with those in prison, in jail, in ICE detention, here at home and all around the world. You are not invisible to us. And our love and care surrounds the students, teachers, and community around St. Paul Central High School and Dunning Rec Center where a student was shot after school earlier this week. They remain in critical condition and we pray for their recovery and for all who were touched by this frightening and tragic event. 
And I invite you now to speak out loud, to hold in your heart, to share in the chat all those that you would lift in worship today, that they might be surrounded by the care of this congregation. We hold in our hearts all those named and all those unnamed but held in the sanctuary of our hearts. And we pray together that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the weight of oppression be lightened, that truth be told, that joy break through, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. Amen. My name is Malia Hausnacht. I use she, her pronouns, and I, for the last three or so years, have been the chair of the Faithful Action Council here at First Universalist, and I am so honored to get to share just a little bit of my story with you all this morning. Just over a decade ago, I joined the Minneapolis Community Environmental Advisory Commission. I joined the commission because I had worked in the field of urban sustainability, and I thought that I would have a lot to offer the city in its community engagement efforts. That year, the staff in the city's sustainability office had decided that it was finally time to respond to organized pressure from local environmental justice organizations by racially diversifying the commission and shifting its focus towards public health and community resilience. I was excited to be a part of that change. Among the other new members of the commission was a woman we'll call Rochelle, a black community activist from North Minneapolis. Uh, if I'm being honest, the culture clash was immediate and it was painful. There were debates over process and tone and language and there were debates over content. The white members of the group, myself included, 
understood ourselves to be there to focus on the details of the new compost education program and the city's energy utilities franchise agreements. Rochelle asked that we demand action to prevent children from passing out from heat stroke in North Minneapolis schools with inadequate air conditioning. Within a few months, the group became unable to function. The chair resigned and Rochelle gradually disengaged. For my own part, I was a little bit paralyzed. Certainly not willing to defend the status quo, but also not quite able to reconcile my understanding of our mandate as advisors to the city on preventing environmental damage with Rochelle's demand that we focus on the impacts of environmental burdens in her community. It wasn't that anyone fundamentally disagreed over what was morally right, but that we couldn't agree on how to spend our limited time and political capital as a group of volunteers. It was a matter of our priorities. In that room and in many others in which I have sat over the decades since, I witnessed the painful consequences of the fact that there were environmentalists and there were environmental justice activists and we were speaking separate languages, we were working on separate issues, we were operating under separate worldviews. As someone who claimed to live by a set of principles that promote equity and compassion, liberty and justice for all, how could I not have noticed this? Now, I don't think that the issue is just semantic. It can't be fixed by just sticking the word justice behind the word environmental everywhere we seem to have forgotten it. And we can't fix it only by recognizing that the burdens that we had accepted as necessary consequences of industry and modern consumption fall disproportionately on people of color, low-income folks, and formerly colonized nations and peoples, although that is indisputably true. As a person of faith and conscience, I had found that um, I needed to ask what it is about white liberal environmentalism that had led our work over the past 50 years to protect and heal what we've called the environment, to have done so little to actually advance a more loving or just world. In many cases, I fear that the environmental work that I was a part of has served to reinforce oppressive systems that harm some for the convenience and comfort of others. This is where my faith, our faith, comes into the story. Unitarian Universalism gives me tools to make sense of whether and how the problem of children sweltering in overheated classrooms in North Minneapolis is an environmental concern worthy of our attention. The first tool lies in what Professor Sherry Prudham refers to as the dynamic tension between our seventh and first principles. The interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part and the inherent worth and dignity of every person. The key to mending the rift between environmentalism and environmental justice is, in my estimation, somewhere in the space between our commitment to individual human worth and our responsibility to the interconnected whole. It is a matter of understanding our place in the vast web of all existence as held in particular accountable relationship 
to our fellow humans. As a historically largely white and middle-class denomination, it has often been easier to embrace an abstract sense of love for all of nature than to grapple with the reality that we have benefited from and found ourselves participants in systems of supremacy. In her 2018 essay entitled Ethical Implications of Environmental Justice, which I highly recommend, UU theologian and Professor Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt wrote that environmental justice pushes back on the idea that all humanity can effectively be considered as one single element of the Earth community without first dismantling generation upon generation of injustice within human society. She goes on to say that situating our environmental justice work at the intersection of our first and seventh principles demands that we address the interconnected desecration and marginalization of oppressed peoples and non-human nature together, Dr. Betancourt says. We must engage with the realities of an unjust society and lower our gaze from the stars. Dr. Betancourt points out that we should not allow our fear or our rightful sense of immense urgency to legitimize addressing centuries of environmental devastation in isolation from centuries of human oppression and despair. Dr. Betancourt is reminding us that not only are the material conditions of aging and poorly designed school buildings an environmental concern worthy of our attention, and they are, but so are the systems of power and supremacy that allow the sweltering of children in overheated classrooms to remain invisible to so many of us. So are the systems of supremacy that lead a city commission of mostly middle-class white people to feel that they know more about what the important environmental concerns are for the city than the people being directly harmed by the physical spaces into which they have been relegated. My faith teaches me that we are interdependent and that the beloved community I long for is built on mutual trust, respect, and liberation, which can only be achieved if I am willing to set my ego aside and trust that people experiencing harm know what is needed to address and prevent that harm. It teaches me that my role in dismantling systems of oppression isn't abstract or separate from what it means to be an expert in urban sustainability or anything else. It's to shift my understanding of what it means to show up as an expert. I learned that sharing power was the most important thing I could do as a white-bodied person if I care about environmental justice. So I started showing up in North Minneapolis in spaces and meetings where I wasn't being told that I was the expert. I got involved in issues related to community-led planning and talked to people in the environmental field about why community ownership of infrastructure is a necessary part of building resilient communities and therefore achieving climate justice. After more than two decades working in environmental nonprofits, I couldn't avoid the feeling that what we called environmental justice communities, or in our more honest moments, sacrifice zones, are the product of waste rolling downhill. They will continue to exist as long as people who look like me 
and most of you, allow our kindred to live on a steep gradient of well-being, and as long as we treat supremacy culture with the inevitability of gravity. We would do well to heed the seventh principle's warning that some reverberation of that damage will be felt by us too. But it is our first principle that actually denies the underlying logic that anyone can be acceptably sacrificed. Without naming the work that must be done in and through human relationship, it is all too easy to understand both our first principle and our seventh in their most individualist form an expression of our own worth as a solitary creature, connected loosely to all, but intimately to none. The belief that humans are different, separate from, and more important than the rest of nature has allowed us to wreak havoc on the systems on which all life depends. And Unitarian Universalism teaches me that a critical step in overcoming that false sense of separation is dismantling racist systems built on the idea that some humans matter more than others. <clears throat> it teaches me that every time I act for liberation, I am acting to heal the wound that keeps us trapped in the destructive systems that are killing the most vulnerable of us first, human and non-human. It teaches me that in all life matters approach, is harmful to those most urgently in need of our allyship and care. Unitarian Universalism teaches us that as part of an interconnected whole, we have the power to change that whole. In fact, we can't help but change it. As Octavia Butler writes, all that you change, all that you touch, you change, all that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change God is change. If all that we touch we change, then it seems to me that faith-filled action is when we take responsibility for and bring intentionality to the ways that we change the world. It means bringing, being attentive to the impacts of our actions and having the courage to live as if what we do is profoundly important, which it is. Putting my action in a faith context helps me to take responsibility for the world-transforming decisions I make every day and also asks me to stretch farther. It fortifies and it beckons. Participating in and through this community is a way to both nourish and respond to that call to show up even on the days that I'm tired or afraid. And I have two children under the age of 10, so I am always tired. <laughs> always. There is a place in the work of justice for each of us. Sharing a meal to support a struggling member of the community, working alongside someone to build a home or make a place of sanctuary, witnessing and calling out injustice at immigration court, marching, protesting, carpooling, voting. Being in active relationship with my faith gives me tools to engage with the space between who I am and who I aspire to become, the world as it is and the one we long for. How and when will you take your shift for the revolution? It will bring me great joy if you'll join me when I next take mine. 
especially if you please, please bring coffee. <laughs> Maybe so. Ashe and amen. Thank you, Malia. Friends, each week when we gather, as we have these last many weeks, we have um, entered our time of offering, our time of giving and receiving with a uh, multi-part invitation, and this week is no different. So to uh, invite us into uh, what is, I think, a three-part offering this morning, uh, we have a, um, a video from Jean Guion, who is not able to be with us in person as she is out of the country, but she recorded this for us. I have been involved in a lot of different kinds of um, volunteer work, social justice work over the years. Um, you know, even when I was young and in school and in my workplace and in my profession, in politics and in so many other ways. But it wasn't until I started coming to First Universalist and engaging in social justice, faithful action work within a faith community that I realized what a significant difference that was. It changed from doing good in the world or acting on behalf of or um, fighting for change to becoming a heart and soul work and to do it within a community that I care about, that we have shared values, that we reflect and think about this work. So it, it shifted from becoming an action and something I did with others in the world to becoming a heart and soul kind of work. And it totally was a different way of doing this kind of thing. It, um, it truly was, um, it became spiritual practice for me as opposed to just actions. And to do it with others that I have growing relationship with is, is a whole different level for me. So friends, part two of our invitation to give this morning. As you heard from Malia's invitation to join and to bring coffee, as you heard from Jean's invitation, to engage, to take our shifts for the revolution together in community as spiritual practice. Downstairs in the social hall uh, at, uh, at a table over by the library, I, I think that's where it is, that's where it was earlier, uh, you will find orange cards like this. And let me tell you what they say. Let me tell you about this invitation. It will also be dropped in the chat momentarily. They read, in the universal spirit of love and hope, 
I will show up on the side of love with my first universalist community blank number of times over the next year. You are invited to think about how you want to fill in that blank. It might be once, it might be 17, it might be 165. I don't know how you would do 165 times, but we will figure that out with you. And below that, it says, this might include use the space below to write or draw in the ways that you imagine showing up in community on the side of love, where you might write things like all of the things that Malia listed, carpooling, showing up at a protest, making sandwiches for the Habitat team when they are out building houses. It might mean going to a workshop. It might mean making phone calls. It might mean all manner of things, and this is your invitation to write down and make a little bit more solid the commitment that you are going to follow through on in the year to come. To say that we know as a faith community, showing up is what matters. That we know as a faith community that what we say we believe is really nice, but it is what we do in the world that shows what we really believe and that part of being a Unitarian Universalist is taking our shift for the revolution, finding a way that we can give to our broader collective effort, as we did when we made soup together this morning, that we might find that we can feed our every need and the needs of the wider world. That is the invitation. We invite you to do that in the social hall after the service. These cards will be here at least once a month for the next several months, as well as online for those of us that are, those of you that are joining us on Zoom. And so with that, I'm going to invite Jeff Snyder to come and round out our offering this morning. Good morning. As Arif said, my name is Jeff Snyder, and I, too, am a member of the Faithful Action Council. Faithful Action is a central part of our congregation's identity, first universalist environmental, housing, racial justice, and sanctuary and resistance teams work with our community partners and other allied groups to help move social justice forward. Today's offering will be used to support those groups and their Faithful Action initiatives. I invite each of you to ask yourselves whether you have anything to share, and if so, to give generously to support this work. Well, I march through the storm and I march through the rain and I march through some sickness and some heartache and pain and I laid on the ground and I looked up at the sky and I prayed to the Lord up above and that's why but oh no I'm not tired I'm not through fighting yet and I'm a march till I die oh baby this you can bet I'm gonna sing out I'm gonna
gonna march on singing with me yeah. I'm gonna sing out I'm gonna march on Well my granddaddy marched and my grandmama too and I never thought that it's something that I'd have to do but I march if I must I'm on a mission you see and I'll be damned if my children have to march for me I said I'm gonna sing out I'm gonna march on I'm gonna sing out I'm gonna march on Now I believe in the power of raising my voice and I believe in the power of making some noise if I can't die I'll sing and if I can't sing I'll die but we can sing for one another let's give it a try say I'm gonna sing out I'm gonna march on I'm gonna sing out I'm gonna march on One more time I'm gonna sing out I'm gonna Let's sing together. The hymn is 1028, 1028, the fire of commitment. I welcome you to rise. Let's sing. One, two, three, four. and spirits into faith set free from fear when the of commitment sets our mind and soul ablaze when our hunger and our passion meet to call us on our way when we live with deep assurance of the flame within, then our promise finds fulfillment and our future can
Let us move forward, taking our shifts, knowing that in our hearts, that together and only together, we can transform the world. Indeed, we already are. Let's sing it together, shall we? Thanks for listening. If you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org donate to make your gift. We'd love for you to join us in person or online Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.